What's up, citizens? It's Vincent Jones, aka Citizen Jones, here with another episode of Quarantine and Chill, a daily podcast where we talk to LGBTQ people from around the world, learning more about their story and how they are experiencing the coronavirus pandemic, or what I affectionately call the zombie apocalypse. So grab a drink with or without alcohol and tag a few friends on the socials to join you for this kiki. And let's quarantine and chill. You know you can't go nowhere. Hell no. Hello, Nicolai Corte out in DC. Hello, How are you doing today? Vincent Jones. Hello, Vincent Jones. I Hello. am quarantined. There you go, quarantining and chill. Yes, uh, yes. Quarantined and keeping my chill. How is it in DC right now? Oh my goodness, DC. Um, you know, when I venture out uh, to go grab takeout from time to time, it looks like a ghost town. You would never think this was our hustling, bustling uh, nation's capital. Um, but, you know, that's a good thing. It means people are following directions. Uh, people are um, uh, staying uh, in place um, and going out only when they need to. And so, um, you know, hopefully we will peak soon and, um, you know, we'll be back to as close to normal as possible. Whatever normal is after this, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's going to be a new normal. It's it's going to be a new normal, but uh, more importantly, I don't think it's going to be the status quo. That that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, let's get started here at Quarantine and Chill. We like to start off our interviews with a little hot topic. Oh, that's hot. So it's a few things that are related to coronavirus, but are not, um, but a little bit of a, a little bit of a different take on it all. So the other day I was reading. Actually, today I was reading that um, um, in America, that Black people are the largest share of those who are dying of the COVID-19. Have you heard that? And what are your reactions to that? So um, I I hadn't heard that that was the case across the United States. I think there's still a lot more data that's coming in. But I did hear that in Michigan. Um, And I think I heard as recently as today that, um, you know, Philadelphia, New Orleans, um, obviously, D.C., uh, cities with very large Black populations are also hot spots. And so, um, yes, it is more than just a little disconcerting to hear that uh, Black folks are making up a significant share of the cases, but even worse than that, a significant share of the deaths uh, related to coronavirus. Um, you know, uh, uh, while I am a doctor of education, I am not a medical doctor. Uh, but, you know, I will say that um, issues related to inequality, issues related to um, disparities uh, didn't just happen overnight. And they're not just uh, because of the coronavirus. Uh, we've had health disparities that have existed um, for a long time. And oftentimes we've seen Black folks and people of color, women, LGBTQ people, folks from traditionally marginalized communities um, at the top of the list when it comes to those disparities. And so, um, you know, coronavirus seems to prey on, uh, you know, folks that have a host of comorbidity issues, uh, folks that have cardiovascular uh, health-related issues, respiratory issues, um, and Black folks make make up a lion's share of that. And so I'm deeply concerned. um, And I think in this moment, one of the best things we can do is get the word out there and make sure that folks follow the lead of the CDC and, you know, their local mayors and public health directors. Uh, but, you know, more importantly, um, we've got to make sure that we're collecting data uh, because really, as is the case with so many things, no data, no justice. You know, if we oh, don't have the that. data, if we don't have the data that substantiates um, what we are seeing and feeling and observing in our communities, uh, then it's hard for uh, the government um, to uh, invest in uh, interventions um, to uh, begin to change the tide. That could be a t-shirt, no data, no justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, when you get to the 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 root, or as uh, the old folks say, the root <laughs> of it. Yeah. Um, no data, no justice, and and so there's obviously a lot of resources that. 
the federal government is pushing out to states and that states are pushing um, out into communities. Um, and we need to make that happen as soon as possible, but we also need to uh, make sure that we're tracking um, you know, uh, how those resources are distributed and um, you know, who uh, is um, uh, getting those resources and more importantly, who's not getting those resources. Um, they're here. Because they're here. Our communities de deserve their fair share too. Um, speaking of older older folks, um, mm -hmm. there are a number of grocery stores who have started putting together senior hours to help uh, create space for older folks to be able to have um, like um, more dedicated time in the stores when they're not competing with people for things and whatnot. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's a good development, or do you think there should be something else done to? help address the needs of seniors and this time with regard to shopping and whatnot? I think now's the time that we've got to do everything we can to step up and support uh, uh, communities that find themselves at a heightened risk uh, related to coronavirus and uh, senior citizens are a part of that group. Um, you know, I've been an activist and movement builder for a number of years and um, in recent years that work uh, has um, translated to the Community State and National Affairs Division of AARP, where, um, you know, uh, AARP is laser focused uh, on uh, issues of concern to uh, Americans over the age of 50, but particularly senior citizens. And, you know, my mom, you know, who, you know, is uh, 66 years old, um, you know, proud senior citizen, um, you know, it, it. You know, as as somebody that um, uh, you know is not able to be with her physically, is not able to be in the San Francisco Bay Area day to day um, to support some of her needs. Um, you know, it is comforting to know that uh, businesses like Costco and Target and Safeway um, and increasingly so many others, you know, are um, creating senior hours and and days where senior citizens can. Um, can shop uh, at a distance from other folks um, without any sort of fear of being, you know, caught up in a mob uh, searching for toilet paper uh, among, right. among, uh, among other things. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, and I'm hoping that, that as we, we come out of this and as we adjust to whatever the new norm is going to be, um, I think that that's a policy that we might want to keep in place, you know, um, Hmm. at least for the short term, uh, to give senior citizens uh, uh, the time and space to be able to uh, to shop, you know, without putting themselves at any risk or in any harm's way. I like that. So let's learn a little bit more about you, um, the man that met the legend. Um, ah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you've been um, an activist in many movements. Can you share a little bit more about that work and also tell us a little bit about what inspired you to be a, um, a justice warrior. Sure, 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 sure. You know, I, I come from um, a long line of servant leaders. Uh, my paternal uh, grandfather uh, was a minister in, uh, in Ghana uh, and um, built a church uh, that's still there in Accra. Uh, and um, he recognized that uh, there were a number of women uh, that weren't coming to church regularly. And he inquired, as you know, why aren't you coming to church regularly? And it's because they didn't have uh, daycare for their kids. And hmm. so my grandfather built a nursery. That nursery became Corte Memorial Secondary School, which more than 50 years later still stands uh, in Accra, Newtown. Uh, and is still educating uh, young people K through eight. Um, you know, my grandfather uh, saw a need, he understood the need, and he did something to uh, address it. Um, and so uh, it shouldn't come as a surprise that the grandson that he never had a chance to get to know, that grew up uh, an ocean away, um, has, you know, taken the baton, um, has taken that passion for community, has taken the ability to be able to bring people together and to be able to understand issues in a really dynamic way, you know, I've made that uh, a part of my life's work, not just my service work, but my professional work. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, working on 
um, issues related to governance and fiscal reform or um, issues related to uh, criminal justice reform or uh, LGBTQ rights issues, uh, health equity issues. I've had a chance to work on a range of issues that show up in community in a really dynamic way. What does your work look like now in terms of, are you based mostly in DC or do you travel a lot? Um, what, what, is it, what does your work look like and how has it been impacted by the coronavirus? Yeah, so uh, these days uh, I have the good fortune of being able to lead um, LGBTQ affairs work uh, at AARP based in our national office here in Washington, DC. Uh, of course, that work takes me uh, to uh, different states across the country. Um, it gives me an opportunity to uh, collaborate with our state offices and offer guidance to our state offices on a range of issues. It's given me an opportunity to um, uh, lead efforts to uh, uh, develop some landmark LGBTQ research uh, for AARP through a multicultural lens. It's given me an opportunity to work with our foundation litigation team in terms of filing amicus briefs um, and making clear uh, that LGBTQ older adults matter um, and, that, and that issues related to discrimination cannot stand. And one of my proudest days on the job was um, getting the final word that we had indeed publicly endorsed the Equality Act. Um, and we sent a letter to the United States Senate urging them to take up uh, the Equality Act. And so, um, you know, all examples of how I've had a chance to lead and be a part of making change uh, using the full weight of, of AARP um, and doing so in a way that was collaborative with a range of partners that bring a whole lot more expertise and um, very powerful uh, networks uh, and spheres of influence uh, uh, on their own. And so I know you're working at home, but I know, I know that you're married. I know because I was one of the best men in your wedding. Um, yes, you were. Yes, you were. <laughs> and um, but I know your husband is um, um, is a an executive producer on his show and is, and is away. How has that um, affected things? You know, because he's not able to be there in large part because of coronavirus. Well, not only is uh, my husband Montre Burton, not only is he co-executive producer of Married at First Sight on Lifetime, uh, but um, he is filming the next season of Married at First Sight, which will be in New Orleans. Um, spoiler alert. And so, you know, it just, it, it, it makes the crisis um, uh, more personal, more personal. I mean, New Orleans, as I mentioned earlier, is, you know, uh, a significant hotspot. Um, uh, in part because Mardi Gras happened and and uh, uh, apparently um, uh, it wasn't communicated from the federal government, um, nor did the state or local government think uh, that uh, they probably should have uh, canceled Mardi Gras in, in, uh, in light of uh, what we were learning about coronavirus and, and how it spread. But, you know, I'm sure we'll take that up in an after action report. Uh, or a future election. Um, but uh, uh, it's been very personal. Um, and, you know, I just hope and pray that he's able to stay healthy um, and not um, uh, uh, encounter uh, the virus. Uh, he has asthma, uh, which is uh, one of those at-risk conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it is uh, a very... Uh, um, uh, disconcerting thought to know that it's possible that your spouse um, could get sick and be thousands of miles away, um, and a sickness, by the way, that may not allow you to be uh, there to physically um, uh, help him heal and recover. And so, um, you know, we're we're focused on, as I hope so many of your listeners are focused on, um, doing what you can do, controlling what you can control, right? And mm -hmm. so. You know, uh, the best we can do is make sure that when we have to leave our homes, you know, that we are um, we're covering ourselves up. If we if we can't get surgical masks, um, and surgical masks should be um, prioritized to medical professionals, but we should be covering our faces up with 
with you know bandanas or with something, some form of protection. And um, make it fashion. You know, a bandana, right? a mask, but make it fashion. <laughs> right, and, right. And stay fly. Stay fly. Yeah. Stay fly. Right. We should, you know, we should, we should be doing that. Uh, but we should also be getting plenty of rest. We should also be hydrating. We should also be taking um, our multivitamins, any other supplemental vitamins that you need. Um, you know, getting as much uh, physical activity as you can inside your house. And if you're if you're like me and you have a chance to, you know, hit a pretty um, safe uh, trail or path near your home, um, you, you know, we should be, um, you know, doing that and then get and then get back home. <laughs> um, uh, you know, because, you know, we want to make sure that our bodies are as strong as they possibly can. Um, in the mm-hmm. event that we do encounter the virus, we want to make sure that we are, um, we are at fighting weight, if you will. Uh, and, and, uh, that we're able to, to, um, uh, fight through it. And, um, you celebrated a birthday recently. What was that like celebrating a birthday when you couldn't be around people? I did. I did. I celebrated my 36th birthday, if you could believe. Hi. Hold it now. <laughs> right. Right. And your and your listeners should know that I think we met. Um, we first met when I was maybe 24, maybe 24 years old. Um, and I, you know, and I was barely we, and I was barely 20. <laughs> lies, plus, all lies, lies. Plus a lies. few years, plus a few years, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, I think every birthday, uh, every year is a, a big year. Uh, every every year is a, a reason to celebrate. Um, you know, I um, had a virtual happy hour with some friends. Um, and this is in addition to, you know, hundreds of text messages and emails and social media posts throughout the day. You know, I co-chair our African-American employee resource group at AERP. And uh, uh, the chair sent out a note that morning. And just, you know, for half the day, everybody on that listserv just kept sending me notes, kept sending me notes (laughs) to the point. Some of my colleagues said, you know, you don't have to reply all. (laughs) Um, Famous last words, famous last words. Right, 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 right. So that was fun. Um, but with but with a virtual uh, happy hour via Zoom, um, you know, it was surprisingly very moving. There's something mm. really special about seeing so many people that you respect, admire, and love. So many people that you have, um, uh, uh, where you've enjoyed their company on adventure after adventure. Uh, seeing them all on one screen in mm. their own square. I mean, in some ways, you know, it felt like um, looking at a virtual quilt. Oh, wow. Uh, I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I certainly didn't um, expect that. And so I was pleasantly surprised. And then, um, you know, even more than just seeing, you know, pages and pages, I've never seen that many people on Zoom. And so that was really cool. Um, But aside from that, um, I didn't want to just, you know, uh, have an hour session where we watched each other drink on camera. Um, but as you know, uh, I believe in uh, parties with a purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I uh, invited uh, one of our sister friends, uh, Yemi Adebo-Mary, who is the general counsel of the Bail Project. Uh, uh, I invited her on um, to really uh, talk a little bit about the mission and the work of the Bail Project, because I was so moved having recently seen a TED talk that their Mm. founder had given. Um, And, you know, uh, I wanted to immediately just share it with people. Um, And I, so for me, sharing it on social media just wasn't enough. You know, I just Mm -hmm. wanted to, to uh, uh, turn that and turn that TED talk into a teachable moment of some sort. And so, you know, I thought up inviting uh, Yemi to talk, to a very captive audience of influencers and content creators and policy advocates and foundation folks and um, da 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 da, uh, a, a league of extraordinary people uh, mm-hmm. about the work, about the extraordinary work of the Bail Project, because it is a crying shame to me that there are people in this country, there are people uh, sitting in jail today um, 
because A, they were accused of something, but B, they're sitting there because they can't afford bail. $500, $1,000, a couple thousand dollars, right? That is what stands between them and their freedom. Mm-hmm. And at a time where, you know, family and togetherness, um, connection um, is, feels more important than ever, um, you know, uh, you know, I think it's just, it's terrible that we rob people um, of that while they are undergoing their due process. And so God bless the founder and the staff and all the supporters of the bail project. I was proud to, you know, do my part uh, to raise consciousness around the great work that they're doing. And so that's how I rang in 36. And, and, right. and more importantly, as you know, that's how I like to live my life. I like to live my life on purpose. Well, I'll put more information about the Bell Project in the show notes for today and encourage people to read more about it and learn how they can be a part of the movement to change, um, to eliminate cash bail um, in the United States or wherever it is in the world. Um, Thank you for that. Uh, of course, of course. What, um, so, so kind of keeping on with this, this theme about, about a purpose, you're in D.C. and, you know, a lot of action has been happening lately to respond to the coronavirus um, crisis um, in, in this country. And I'd just be um, curious to get your initial thoughts about what has happened, what you think should happen, and in particular, as it pertains, if you can talk about it in a particular lens as it pertains to LGBT people around the country, different groups or as a whole or seniors or whatever, it makes the most sense to you. You know, I think uh, being here in Washington, D.C., in the midst of probably one of the greatest public health crises of my lifetime, maybe the second, you know, I was too young um, to experience, you know, the AIDS crisis firsthand. So even though I grew up in the Bay Area in San Francisco, you know, was a major hotspot in terms of the AIDS epidemic. um, You know, I was too young to um, fully understand uh, how that was unfolding. And so for me, you know, this is really, um, uh, in my adult life, this has become sort of the biggest public health crisis um, that I think any of us have ever known. And, um, you know, I don't think I've ever seen the federal government respond, um, you know, with, you know, so much money. I mean, you know, I think we're at six or seven trillion dollars um, with, with more um, relief coming down the pipe. And, you know, uh, I hope that uh, that we, as somebody that doesn't believe in, uh, you know, acting in the moment as much as creating a movement, right? Mm. Uh, I, hope, I hope that we uh, seize this opportunity to begin to reimagine, to begin to um, hold a different possibility for our social safety net. I think it's really clear that our social safety net um, is a little outdated. Um, You know, uh, Mm -hmm. we have a social safety net uh, uh, for the 20th century uh, that is falling short in terms of servicing the needs of the people of the United States in the 21st century. And so, um, you know, I hope that we uh, don't just take a charitable approach uh, Mm -hmm. to addressing this crisis, but that we, um, we make some change and some systems change. Um, I think it's, it's, it's vital. You know, we see, for example, you know, uh, you know, school lunch programs are, um, tied to school attendance. Well, what happens when, uh, young people are learning from a distance, they're learning remotely, right? How do they, how do they get fed? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, you know, we, we see, you know, that, um, you know, uh, unemployment benefits, um, uh, may fall short of, of helping people to be able to take care of their basic needs. Uh, we see that healthcare too often is tied to employment. And so if mm-hmm. you've been furloughed or if you've been laid off from your job, um, you know, what happens to your healthcare? Um, you know, and especially if you live in states where the federal government has not allowed healthcare exchanges to be set up, um, well, you know, what do you do? And so I think there's some serious questions that we need to 
um, not just wrestle with, but we need to solve for um, because there, there's too much at stake. And, you know, today it's coronavirus, you know, um, you know, next year could be some other super flu or super bug. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, that's what I'm really holding out hope for in terms of this moment, um, that we use it as an opportunity to reimagine the world as we, as we um, believe it can be. You know, and, and, you know, I like to put on my asset lenses. You know, I always like to say if I'm operating at my highest vibration, um, you know, I am Come on, I'm, walking through, I'm walking through the world believing, believing uh, that, you know, how, how amazing of a time it is to be a leader, mm. to, be a, to be a leader, to be in power, to have influence, right? I mean, we really have an opportunity, you know, to make a major difference, a generation, uh, you know, a difference that will be felt for generations and generations. And so, um, you know, I am uh, excited to do my part um, and to support others that are doing their part to do exactly that. And what is, what, what kind of leadership do you feel is needed for the um queer community at this moment in time? You know, uh, I think in the queer community, um, you know, I think this moment requires the type of leadership that um, doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk in terms of creating an equity agenda, right? Mm -hmm. And we've got we've to recognize that LGBTQ people um, are not just white people, right? And, and, you know, listen, you know, we, we have white friends, I have white family members, you know, um, nothing against white people, right? Uh, but uh, when it comes to showing up and representing the interest of the broad cross-section of folks that make up the LGBTQ community that you know and that so many of your listeners know, right? Um, you know, oftentimes there are a lot of, uh, people that are leading LGBTQ uh, organizations or that uh, purport to uh, advance LGBTQ interests, you know, and they don't think about um, how those interests are compounded by race, mm -hmm. by gender, by geography, um, you know, and, uh, um, you know, how those interests show up in an urban environment versus a rural environment are very different. Uh, and so I think that's the kind of leadership that we need across the board. Mm -hmm. um, but since you asked me, you know, specifically about, you know, the queer community, um, uh, uh, that would be the number one priority is that we need folks in positions of power and leadership and authority and influence that um, understand and are able to articulate an LGBTQ equity agenda. Um, because we've got to make sure that that, uh, uh, that we're able to uh, show up uh, for uh, the broadest cross-section of folks that make up our community, for everyone under the rainbow. We've got to make sure we show up for everyone under the rainbow. And historically, I don't think we've always done that. Um, and we certainly haven't historically led with that. And so I think now um, is a better time than ever to lead with that. I hear that. I love that. So on Quarantine and Chill, we have this thing that we call, what would you do? Now I have, it's basically where I give you a scenario that's based off of stuff that can happen during this whole quarantine that we're all dealing with. Oh and, Lord. Okay, so now, now this, one, this, one is a, this one is a heavier one than some other okay. ones, but, okay. but, um, okay. but, I think, but I think you'll be a good person to answer this question. I think you're up for the challenge. Okay, you ready? I, now, in my in, in my T'Challa voice, I accept your challenge. Okay, yes, Wakanda forever. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. I accept your challenge. Okay, so <laughs> you have to, so in this situation, in this scenario, you are in an abusive relationship. Going to work was your escape, but now you're on quarantine and you're forced to be home with your abuser 24-7, at a time where stress and anxiety are high, what would you do? Oh, that's a toughie. I told you. But it's, it's real. Toughie. 
it's real. It's something it, I've been thinking it, about. It, it is real. It is real. I think there was there's an article that I saw recently about um, uh, LGBTQ person that could not afford to move out of their house, uh, mm. and their 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 uh, uh, parents were homophobic, um, and like actively homophobic, like would say things at the dinner table. I like, didn't want to be in the same room as him. Um, uh, I read that story and it, it made my, made my, it made my heart frown to say the least. Um, you know, uh, I have, um, never been in an abusive relationship. Um, I've certainly dated folks that, that, uh, deployed, uh, uh, some abusive behaviors, um, not a lot, but there's there's a particular person that comes to mind. But I've never been in an abusive relationship, and so I, and so um, uh, I I share this with a great deal of humility. Um, my advice would be um, for that person to journal, hmm. to tr- to to try and keep as low of a profile as possible um, in the home. Um, and to journal their experience. You know, it may be difficult to hop on the phone and talk to people, um, but I think it's important to um, express uh, one's feelings, to express what is on their heart um, in some form or another. And maybe the quietest form uh, might be in the form of journaling, um, you know, and uh you know, if if they find that the situation um, is at a fever pitch, um, you know, uh, perhaps they might want to uh, uh, send that journal to uh, a loved one that might be able to um, um, help them plot their escape. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, you know, the journals may give some some clues, some explicit clues in terms of what's happening. Um, and what they really need. Um, but, you know, that's that's about as much as I can come up with uh, off the top of my head. No, that's, I think that's good advice. I think I think especially a part about trying to keep a low profile um, mm-hmm. and trying to trying to lay low. And, and I think definitely um, figuring out a way to um, to journal. Cause I know I was watching Oprah years ago. There was this, there was this episode where this man would not only beat his wife, but will um, video record them and would oftentimes make their children record them. Um, and even though when ultimately she was able to get away and press charges, um, when they were in court, the videos weren't enough to establish multiple incidents that then ultimately left him, uh, resulted in him getting a long sentence. Mm-hmm. It, was his, uh, it was her coworker who would note on her little day planner, mm-hmm. um, um, she had this bruises today. Um, she called in sick. So basically mm-hmm. her coworker was simply journaling on her behalf and mm-hmm. she had that to be able to submit as evidence and that established a number of incidents but then was able to um, put her abuser away for a longer period of time. Um, oh, wow. So I feel like something like, like the journal Maybe think about mm-hmm. that, something like that in that mm-hmm. time period. Um, I'm definitely going to try yeah. to find some resources to put on the show notes. People can make, who, people who are, find themselves in a situation can yeah. have some access to resources. You know, and, and like so many things, I mean, you know, it's important to document things, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, um, you know, you know, when you believe that you're not being, you know, um, treated fairly, or if you feel that, you know. Um, you know, you're being put in a compromising position, you know, um, journaling is great in terms of getting things off your chest, but it's also an important tool in terms of documenting and creating a timeline, um, mm-hmm. in terms of, of, of what your experience is. And that timeline can be used in a, a lot of different ways. Um, uh, in which case you just share one of those ways. And so, um, um, you know, I, 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 I wish for, for their freedom. Um, in their in their health and safety, whoever might be listening, um, who might find themselves in that situation. Citizens, if you or someone you know is suffering from domestic violence, please know that you are not alone. 
consider calling AVP. They have a hotline at 212-714-1141. Again, that's 212-714-1141. You can also go to their website at avp.org. There are resources, information, and most importantly, someone who can help you. Yeah, so let's um, switch gears a little bit and yeah. um, um, talk about, so you're living, um, you're in D.C., um, you're working from home, your husband is working on this show in Louisiana. So what are you, what are some things you're doing aside from like the Zoom video call to stay fit, to stay mentally sane? What, do you, what are some of your wellness recommendations? Oh, wow. Well, wellness recommendations. Well, um, drink plenty of water. Um, um, take your vitamins, um, you know, um, start your day with a cup of tea. That's what, that's what I've been doing. Um, it's become sort of my morning ritual before I, you know, hop on emails and calls. It's just, you know, you see a little moment of calm, a little moment of calm, right? A little something to set the tone for your day. Um, remember your spirit, you know, as Oprah used to say. Right. Remember your spirit. You know, uh, you always got to do that. Uh, um, I um, I try and eat as well as I can, and so I try to make sure I get leafies uh, into my my daily diet, and you know I try to watch the sugar intake. Uh, are you are you cooking? I'm sorry, but are you are you making the food yourself more than you were before, or are you? Oh, absolutely, food? absolutely. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. This kitchen. Has got so much love, <laughs> so much more love during coronavirus uh, than it ever has. Yeah, I've I've been I've been cooking a lot more, um, and uh, even uh, I'll Facetime I, I Facetime with my mom um, mm-hmm. and talk to her while I'm cooking. And of course, she gives uh, uh, cooking advice, um, invited <laughs> or not. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's a, it's a fun way to, to connect. It's a fun way to connect. And so I do that. And then in terms of physical activity, um, you know, every day I, I hop on my, my bike and, you know, I ride my, my bike on a nearby path, um, uh, do probably four miles on that, um, you know, from my home to a nearby dock and, uh, I walk around a little bit and then, um, uh, I uh, stopped by the, a tennis court where I, I, uh, I hit the tennis ball up against the backboard uh, for a little bit, uh, and then I head home. And that's really my um, most vigorous physical activity uh, for the day, um, you know. And then also, um, you know, you know a lot of people, as I do, and we have a lot of friends and a lot of different area codes. Um, and... Uh, I think this time has been such a blessing in terms of being able to connect with old friends, people that mm. you follow on social media and mm-hmm. you see that they like your posts and you like their posts. And so it's like, you know, a little, so, so, little social media hand wave. Right. But this has been such a great time to connect, to reconnect with folks. You know, um, one of my old friends from high school, um, uh, we connected this morning. Um, and for like 90 minutes, we we're on the phone just catching up, right? And it was as if, it was as if we didn't miss a beat, um, you know. Uh, and uh, I really enjoy that, and I think that's that's really important. Uh, one of the lessons I learned from my virtual happy hour for my birthday, um, not only that love transcends, I knew that, uh, but um, that what we're all really looking for, you know, pre-coronavirus during coronavirus and likely after coronavirus, we're looking for connection. Mm-hmm. We're starved for connection. Um, and technology has really allowed us to be able to connect in ways uh, in real time in some pretty extraordinary ways. And so those are all the things that I do to just sort of stay, stay strong, to stay healthy, to stay connected. Um, you know, and as you know, Vincent, I love learning. Yeah, um, you do. You know, and so I have more time to read leisurely. So I'm reading magazines and I'm reading articles. And um, of course, you know, on YouTube and other sites, there are, uh, there's an opportunity to dig in uh, to lots of different videos. I'm listening to audiobooks and podcasts. And podcasts. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Like <laughs> Quarantine and Chill. I will be. Yeah. Uh, uh, a loyal listener, right? 
Um, and you know, I'm I'm leaning into it. I'm leaning into it because what else can you do? What else can you do? You, you can't go nowhere. <laughs> um, so um, after this is all over, um, you referenced the after this um, zombie apocalypse, as I like to call it lovingly. Um, mm-hmm. Where is the first place you want to travel once the travel bans are gone and we're able to, to move around again? That's a very good question. So I, I actually had hoped to spend my birthday in New York City um, uh, on sort of a Broadway tour. Um, I wanted to spend a long weekend in New York, um, was planning to meet up with some friends there, and um, really wanted to enjoy you know, some of the hottest Broadway shows that are out there, the Tina Turner Broadway show. Yeah, we have friends that are, uh, we have a friend that's a producer on Blue. Uh, that's the um, uh, show with Felicia Rashad and Blair Underwood and, um, you know, Hades Town. And mm-hmm. you know, there's so many, so many good ones. And so I was looking forward to going to Broadway and getting my whole life, right? Yes, yes. Um, uh, and so, you know, I hope to, I hope to go back uh, to New York soon. Um, hopefully sometime this year, uh, that dream can still come true. Well, hopefully those shows are still there because Broadway is getting hit really hard. Um, yeah. You know, all the shows have been down for, I think, about two weeks now, and they're probably going to be mm-hmm. down a little longer. And I've been definitely reading that, um, you know, for a lot of the shows, I'm, except for the shows that have, like, you know, the Disney shows or the big um, money behind them, a lot of them are going to close. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, or, you know, we may, we may see them um, take a different form. Um, I think in moments like this, uh, there's always an opportunity to innovate and iterate. And, you know, I mean, there was a time where we never thought we would see Alvin Ailey anywhere else, but on the stage. And, you know, Alvin Ailey um, has made some of their performances available for a limited time um, online. Um, and, and that's been a great respite for those of us that really enjoy Alvin Ailey, enjoy uh, the arts. And so I have faith that, that Broadway is going to figure out, uh, you know, uh, a way to, uh, to, tra- to share the experience in the short term um, as we figure out, you know, how to get, how to make our way back to the stage uh, in the long term. And I loved loving these Alvin Ailey performances. I saw this morning actually there was it wasn't a performance, but it was like a uh, a montage clip where they had a bunch of dancers in their homes doing the a part of Revelation. Yeah. I yeah, thought that was yeah. beautiful because I used to. Um, I don't know if I. I think you may know this. So when I when I lived in New York City, uh, right after undergrad, um, I bartended at the theater where Alvin Ailey performed. Oh, and I never so, knew that. Yeah, so for like two or three years, I think I did it. So I would I would see them every night, basically, because I would see oh it on gosh. a TV screen every single night. Now I have a few friends who are in Alvin Ailey, um, and um, and one of my first situations was with this. Oh my god, <laughs> this boy named Naeem. He was Alvin Ailey dancer. One I, of your situationships, not a relationship, was, a situationship. Yeah, it was like my first one. That was ooh, but I digress. <laughs> having a moment thinking about the Naeem. <laughs> I'll just tell you this one day. I'll tell you this. He might be listening. He might, he might be listening, Vincent. I lived in Queens. He lived in the Bronx. And one day he said, what are you doing? I said, whatever you want me to be doing. And he's like, you want to come over? I was like, I said, okay. And so I got my happy behind. <laughs> On my way over there, made that like hour and a half, two hour can you to get over there. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? It was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> was it worth it? Let me work it. I put my thing down, flip it and reverse it. Right, that so Alvin yeah. Ailey. So I would see that every night and like they do revelation in every show. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I knew revelation at a certain point in time. I was like something mm-hmm. one of my I love the soundtrack. I love the performance. I love like the story behind it. I love some of the movements. And like seeing that video this morning, I know it's, it's like those, those, you don't realize how things like that just kind of give you a sense of like calm and yeah, in these moments. So it was very reassuring to see that. And I mean, you're right. I'm glad a lot of 
Um, you can see like the, the operas online. I've never seen an opera before. And so I've, I've watched one of the operas and I was like, oh, that's okay. So they're acting not as boring as I thought they would be. Uh, and then, like it's like beautiful and everything else. And like, you've seen a lot of stuff that's kind of going different spaces. And maybe, I hope that's a lasting thing um, that goes on after all of this. It's, you know, it, it, and, and it's also a reminder of the critical role the arts play in our everyday lives, right? Yeah. I mean, think, of, think about, you know, how well we, we might fare if we, we didn't have access to such amazing content. Right. right. I mean, you know. Oh my God! TV without, without Netflix, and, we go. Oh my TV, God! We go. We we, we right, each other. <laughs> right. TV and streaming services and audiobooks, Right. I mean, you know, um, it's artists. It's mm-hmm. the it's the it's the it's the creative artist community. You know that has really um, showed up in a way in this this era um, that has helped us to um, get a little bit of respite from the news. Uh, that uh, allowed us to be able to um, uh, decompress um, and connect with the things that um, bring us joy and the things that remind us of our own resilience, right? And so when I watch Revelations and when I watch uh, Alvin Ailey's performances, and I love to support those performances every year when they go on tour, um, you know, I uh, am reminded of my own resilience by the time I, we get to the end of the show. And so, mm. um, so God bless all the artists uh, that um, are uh, helping us to um, sustain and dare I say heal uh, in this moment. Hi citizens, for today's wellness tips, go to the Quarantine and Chill Facebook page. You can even leave some of your own. So before I let you go, where can people find you online or on the internet or social media? Where can you be found? People can find me on Instagram um, at Dr. Nick Cordelai. That's D-R-N-I-I-Q-U-A-R-T-E-L-A-I, Dr. Nick Cordelai. They can also find me on Twitter uh, at, guess what? Dr. Nick Cordelai uh, oh. on Twitter. <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I... Uh, um, and increasingly, uh, they can find me on the public lecture circuit. And, and, and so, um, uh, and um, uh, more time, you know, when there, when there are other places they can find me, I'll be back to make sure you let them know. All right, all right, all right. So last question yeah. for you, last question for you. Mm-hmm. What takeaway do you want to, or what do you want to take away from this experience yourself? And what do you hope that we as a country, we as a world, take away from this pandemic? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, what do I want to take away from this moment, this corona outbreak, coronavirus outbreak, this coronavirus pandemic? What do I want to take mm-hmm. away from this moment? Um, you know, I, um, I believe on some level that this moment is here to teach us something. Mm. Teach us something about ourselves. Teach our, uh, teach ourselves uh, teach ourselves something about um, the world. Um, to teach us about um, what we need. Um, you know, surprisingly, if 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 your listeners are anything like me, you found that you actually don't need all that much. Mm-hmm. You know, you spend you spend weeks at a time in your house. You know. Um, <laughs> You know, you look around and you see your all your stuff um, a little bit differently. Um, and so, you know, I believe that in a lot of ways, this moment is a great awakening for not just the people of the United States, but the people of the world, not just people of conscience, but, you know, people that have been, have found themselves operating in a fog uh, for a long time. Um, you know, when we are finally uh, able to be in community, physical community, physical proximity with one another, I think we're going to value um, human touch, human interaction. Um, hopefully we exercise more compassion and we are more grateful for humanity. 
Um, we recognize that humanity is actually something that is worth fighting for. And so when we talk about issues like climate justice, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, the folks in Flint that still don't have clean water, when we talk about issues related to access and affordability, my hope is that these issues um, aren't going to sound so abstract, um, but that we're going to be able to engage in these issues um, with a lot more heart, a lot more compassion, um, and a lot more love for our, our fellow uh, humans. Well, all right. Well, thank you, my fellow human. A lot of love for you. Thank you for A lot of love for on. you, too. Wakanda forever. <laughs> yes. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for being with us on Quarantine and Chill for today. Um, and congratulations to you. Congratulations to you. Can I just say real quick, thank you, sure. Vincent Jones. Thank you, Citizen Jones. Thank you for um, creating this podcast and more importantly, creating a space uh, where we can come together. I mean, you know, you know, you uh, really understand uh, more than a lot of folks, the power of bringing people together and holding space uh, for folks to um, feel like they belong and to feel a part of a community feel connected. Um, and so I'm just honored that I'm able to uh, share a little bit with you and 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 uh, 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 quarantine together uh, yeah. and chill together. Um, and uh, I think this is a part of what it takes to make the world a better place. So thank you. All right, thank you. For doing your part. And everybody no. listening, everybody listening, do your part and make sure that you share uh, Queerantine and Chill, uh, far and wide. Make sure that you rate Queerantine Chill five stars or whatever the highest rating is. Um, you know, and make sure that we uh, turn Queerantine and Chill uh, into the movement that it is. All right, yes, we go. I I co-sign that, people, citizens. Let's do it. All right, thank you until tomorrow. And it's Quarantine and Chill. I'm Vincent Jones. Thank you for listening. Gracias. Toda oba. ni. Obrigado. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Quarantine and Chill, a creation of yours truly, Vincent Jones and Citizen Jones Travel. Much love to the amazing Ben Salk, who produces, edits, and makes all the music for the podcast. If you love this episode, please like and leave positive comments on the podcast platform of your choice. You have no idea how much that helps us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where you can learn more about today's guests and get any resources mentioned in the conversation, as well as connect with other citizens in the Quarantine and Chill community. Until tomorrow, this is Vincent Jones reminding you to wash your hands. Let's quarantine and chill. Quarantine and chill. Let's quarantine and chill. Quarantine and chill. You know you can't go nowhere. Hell no. So let's quarantine and chill. Quarantine and chill. Quarantine and chill.